Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Cuban. We started a series last week titled The Fear of the Lord. And then the subtitle of that series, of this series, is The Unlikely Cure for Anxiety. We live in a world that creates angst, that creates anxiety, that creates confusion. And it's so good at it, it seems like it's doing it on purpose. Right? And so we started talking last week because I, I wanted to talk to you about the God that we serve. I wanted to talk to you about how big he is, how great he is. And so last week we talked, we, I preached a sermon titled, Here is Your God. And that's all I wanted to do, to you, do during that time, that, that, that feeble attempt within 40 minutes or so of taking the lid off the platter and showing you this is the God that you serve, that he is greater than any created thing, that he is greater than any idol, that he is greater than any authority established. All of that out of Isaiah 40. I just wanted you to know, this is the God that you serve. And I know I did a horrible job at that, because how, you do, how do you define that which is infinite in a finite amount of time with a finite mind Except that we did the best we could. I did the best we could to show you that your God is greater. Why do I tell you that? Why did I take the time to explain that yet last week out of Isaiah 40? Because I need us to understand that if God is greater, that means everything else is smaller. The premise of this whole series is coined in one phrase. I want you to know who God is. And here's the phrase. Because when we know Him, we fear Him. We have a reverence for Him. We understand how awesome He is. What He's capable of. And so to know Him is to fear Him. And to fear Him is to fear nothing else. Which I think is an incredible truth in times like we live in. I've, I'm 49 years old, and have ne- I've seen some craziness in my life, but I have never seen the anarchy, the lawlessness, the disobedience to authority and all things surrounding authority as I see right now. But you know what? God, according to what we learned last week, is greater than all of those things. The God that loves you is greater than all of those things. The God that holds you, as I'm... As I, Off-quoted saying, in his righteous right hand. That's one of my favorite terms in all of Scripture, if you can't tell it. Because I pray it all the time. Because I figure if I'm in the hand of God, who can remove me? No one. And so we're held in the righteous right hand of God, who is greater than authority, greater than any idol, and greater than any created thing. Amen? Today, though, so we talked about that last week. Today, I want to talk about why we can be fearless. The the sermon title, and let me encourage you to take notes, is Be Fearless. Because of who God is, because of what we know of Him, we can be fearless in the world. I need y'all to look at me like I got two heads. I need you to listen to me for a second. The God that you serve is capable of watching over you. The God that you serve loves you. The God that you serve is greater than the problem you're dealing with, the situation, the financial problem, all these things. All these things that we declare, woe is me. I've been sick. I've been this. I've been that. Let me tell you, your God is bigger than all of those things. You need confidence in who your God is. 
not who your problem is. We spend 99% of our time talking about our problem, 1% talking about our God, and wonder why we still got a problem. It doesn't make any sense to me. Our God is bigger. Our God is greater than whatever. And when I say whatever, I want to underline that in my notes three times. Whatever would come against me. But you don't know me. I don't have to know you. I know the God that you serve. Because I know the God that you serve, I know what the God that you serve is capable of doing for you and desires to do for you. Amen? And so that's what I want to do today. I want to talk about why we can be fearless. As many of you know, I was a paratrooper. I was in the 82nd Airborne Division. Uh, when I was young and stupid and thought things like that were a good idea. And I can remember going to jump school. And I can remember being terrified. There's no other way to say it. My granddaddy told me something. It's the only lie he ever told me, best I could tell. He said the best that I can tell. He said the best way to get over a phobia is to face it. And so I thought, I'm going to jump out of some airplanes. He was a liar. <laughs> because I'm still scared of heights. This building needs a new roof. Somebody else is doing that. But let me tell you, I entered airborne school, Fort Benning, Georgia, middle of September, I guess. And airborne school is three weeks. And it was incredible to watch. You got these, this platoon, this company of guys that are all going through airborne school. And the first day, man, the bravado was thick. Like you could, you could cut it with a knife. I'm the man. I'm about to be airborne. I'm going to airborne school. I'm going to be a big deal. This is a, this is a big deal, and it's a hard class to get into. It's a harder class to graduate. And so they're all thumping their chest, talking about how tough they are. Well, airborne school is three weeks. First week is just calisthenics and academics second week is what they call tower week where they lift you 250 feet in the ground in an already open parachute release you out of that tower and let you float the 250 feet to the ground let me tell you the attitude of the paratroopers in the company from week one to week two changed they were like, yeah, we're going to be airborne, blah, 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 blah. You want, you want me to do what? <laughs> and then came week three. Week three was jump week. You had to make five jumps during jump week. And they did it at night, and they did it a couple during the day. And I can remember the first time I got ready to jump out of an airplane. And, I, I mean, I was terrified. There's no other ways to say it. I was scared to death. I thought... I'm going to die. I'm, I'm 19 years old. I'm going to die here today. And apparently, as I'm sitting in the chute shed, don't say that fast, ready to receive my parachute, I'm putting it, or I received it, and I'm putting it on, and I'm pasty, man. I've already sweat through my uniform. And the black hat walks by. Black hat's the guy that runs the uh, airborne school. He's the instructor. And he stops, and he says, you could, apparently, you could see the terror on my face. He says, hey, you all right? I said, airborne. <laughs> yeah. Of course, he knew I was lying. He looked at me and he said, always remember, courage isn't the absence of fear. It's the understanding that something's more important than your fear. And so I had a confidence in that instructor. I trusted that instructor. And as I put that parachute on and I buckled it up and under, came in between my legs and over my shoulders and around my chest as I was buckling it and him having been an expert in what he does, he starts checking the gear and making sure it's, it's like it's supposed to be. Everything's latched and looped and all of that. I gained a confidence in my equipment. Why do I tell you that story? I tell you that story 
Because our fearlessness starts with a confidence in our instructor, in our God, which is why we started where we started last week. And as our confidence in our instructor, our God grows, our confidence in what he's given us, our equipment, grows. And we can walk boldly and fearlessly knowing both of those things. Not only that he is, but that he is given. Amen? And that's what I want to talk to you about today. How do we move from first day, first week, airborne school, to third week, fifth jump confidence in the God that we serve? How do we become fearless in what we've been given? The answer to that question is know what you've been given. And so I'm going to talk to you about that. Number one, we can be fearless because God is provisional. I'm not going to talk real loud or fast today because I just want you to listen. I'm going to try to just very simply explain to you what you've been given in Christ Jesus and what you've been given because of who you belong to and the confidence that you could have in the God that you serve so that you might walk fearlessly. It doesn't matter what happens Tuesday. You know why? Because God's still going to be God on Wednesday. But we can be fearless because God is provisional. When, when we hear of in America, especially when we hear about the provisional God that, that we serve, we, we talk about provision, we talk about having stuff. You know, like Angela and I go on vacation and we, we get provisions to, to go on vacation. She'll, she'll start like two months in advance of us going to vacation. She'll buy, buy me gummy bears and ding-dongs and ho-hos and Fritos, and she'll just start stockpiling it in her office I know it's coming on vacation time when I walk in there and the whole corner's covered up with provisions. You know, all the stuff a diabetic doesn't need, but she loves me enough to give me anyway. These are provisions. But let me tell you, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about we serve a provisional God. I'm about a God that will show up and, and miraculously assist you when it doesn't seem like assistance was possible. The God who provokes someone to provide a car note for you. Out of the middle of nowhere, you get a, something in your mailbox that you weren't expecting. This is the provisional God that we serve. We say, God provided this car for me so I could get to work. God provided the church, the sound equipment, and the video equipment so we could reach beyond these walls. These are all very important too. But let me tell you, in America we still have a slanted, skewed view of God's provision. We don't rely on God's provision. There's a buddy of mine named Doji. Many of you know him. He's a, to show you the state of the world, he's a missionary in the United States from Africa. Remember when we used to send missionaries to Africa? Now Africa sends missionaries to America. That'll make you sad. So anyway, I asked him one time many years ago because he coming, him coming from Africa, we were talking about the provisional God that we serve, and I asked him, I said, so why, why are so many more miracles happening in Africa than you see happen here? And he's in his very earthy East African accent, he says, because you don't need God here. That cut me, man. I was like, I, I need God. He goes, man. Eh. He said, you don't have to count on God for provision. If you're hungry and you don't have food in your house, you go get food. If you don't have money, somebody will give you food. If you're sick, you go to the doctor. If you have a need, it's met here. He said, in Africa, you have a need, you have a health need, you trust and believe that God's going to provide it or you do without it or die. You trust God's going to provide food or you starve. 
That's the provisional God that we serve, the God that we need to be able to rely on. We need to get to a place where we rely on God to be our provision, not the world around us. Amen? Amen. In Genesis chapter 22, we see God described as, for the first time, Jehovah Jireh, which is to say the God that provides. I want to tell you a story. It's not a story. It's it's truth, in fact. It's history. But in Genesis chapter 22, there's a story. I'm not going to pretend everybody knows the, the story, so I'll go over it a little bit. Abraham was promised a son. Abraham's the father of the Judeo-Christian faith, really. And he was promised a son, and that son's name was Isaac. And God delivered that son to him when Abraham was very, very old. It was, a, it was a miraculous thing that he had this child. And he had the promise of God in his hand. He knew this is what God gave me. This is the conduit by which all of the promises that I've been given by God will manifest. This is my son. And God tells him, I need you to kill him. I need you to sacrifice him. I need you to trust me and, and sacrifice your son. He says this. Now, I want you to understand, I started with this is history because I don't want you to think it's some story somebody made up. This is truth. Imagine having enough faith to hear the voice of God say, sacrifice your son, and you haven't enough faith to be willing to do it. That's a dependence on God's provision. Amen? Let me tell you how confident he was. In Genesis 5, 22, 5, Abraham said to the young men that, that traveled along with him and his son, he said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. My son, I'm sorry, verse 22.5. Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Did you catch that verbiage? What was the last thing that Abraham heard from God? Go sacrifice your son. And he said, me and the boy are going to climb this mountain. We're going to climb this mountain, but we're going to, be, we're going to worship God together, and we'll be back. And in 22.8, speaking to Isaac, he said, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Because the, the son's all, hey man, we're we supposed, we supposed to get a burnt offering. I got the sticks and all the stuff. Where's that? And he says, God will provide it. Don't worry about it. Knowing that it was him. But his faith was such in the provision of God that he had the confidence to know one thing. That God's not a liar. God gave him Isaac. And he would keep his promise to him. Did y'all hear that? Why is that important? Because Abraham came to a conclusion. I think before he left his own tent. That God would either resurrect. His son. Or replace his son with another sacrifice that he would never have to worry about it even if he killed him that God would bring him back from the dead or that God would provide and in fact that's what God did God provided a ram in the bush according to Genesis 22 11 through 13 God provided a sacrifice can I tell you we can be fearless just like Abraham was fearless because God has provided a lamb for us. You know why we teach out of the Old Testament? To shine a light on Jesus. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to, I'm trying to create a fearlessness in you. That although it doesn't make sense, although the world's telling you something different, although... God's asked something incredible of you that 
You don't know how it's going to happen or when it's going to happen or why it's going to happen. You could stand fearlessly and boldly and look up at this mountain and say, I'm going to climb that mountain. I'm going to do what God told me to do because he will provide at the top of that mountain. I'm telling you, climb that mountain, man. We sit around and we hee-haw and him-haw around saying, man, if I just had this, I could do what God called me to do. Or if I was just smart enough to do this, I could accomplish the task God gave me. Just climb the mountain, boy. What you're looking for is beyond the step that you're willing to take right now. You have to trust in God's provision. You're all, man, I need that second step, but you hadn't taken the faith to move that first step yet. Why would he give you that second step? God is a God of provision. He wants you to walk fearlessly, knowing that you don't have to see it to know that He isn't a liar. And if He's not a liar and He told you that you could have it, then guess what? You have it. And He's provided that sacrifice for Abraham. I said I wasn't going to yell today. <laughs> I'm doing great. And He did the same thing to us, or for us, in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the sacrifice that God provided in His own Son. Man, that makes my palms sweaty. Why? So that we might be received back to God the way Isaac was received back to Abraham. He sacrificed Himself, took the abuse, the, the, the punishment that we deserved by climbing on the altar and placing Himself upon the cross at Calvary for us. I don't have to talk that up. I don't have to throw a bunch of cool illustrations or adjectives at that. That's more powerful than we can contain no matter how much or how well I illustrated it. That Jesus Christ, that God provided a substitute for us. That He paid for our sins according to Ephesians 1.7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of His grace. This should, this should make us open mouth stupid. As they used to say. Probably shouldn't have, apparently. But this should bring a sense of awe to us and a fearlessness to us. Because if He didn't spare His own Son for your sake and sent His own Son to die for your sake, do you not think God's willing to, to take care of His investment? To provide for his investment, you're, you are his investment. It's the reason why I think Paul was so confident in saying 1 Corinthians 15.3. He says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. I told you guys I didn't want to use a bunch of big articulate words and all that, and I don't want to. I'm not going to. How many of you guys have read Paul's writings? This is why I'm not going to. Because Paul says some smart stuff. If you read through Paul's writings, you're going you're gonna to stand there with your mouth open going, I have no idea what, what that means. In a lot of instances. And you're going to have to meditate on that. And you're going to have to pray through it. And ask God for revelation in it. But in all that smart stuff he said, he said, listen, all that other stuff, there's only one thing that's most important. And that's this. That Christ died for your sins, according to Scripture. And if he provided the lamb for us, we can fearlessly know that he provides all things for us. That he loves us enough to take care of us. Sadly, there's a lot of people that, that, that have an angst in them, an anxiousness in them, because they don't know if they're saved. I've been asked this question more times than I, 
I care to have been asked. But they say, Pastor Jim, how can I know I'm saved, man? I did such and such. I gave my life to the Lord, but then I did such and such. Let me give you the requirements of salvation. Are you ready for this? Declare out of your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And live a lifestyle of repentance. Which means when you sin, ask forgiveness and stand up and walk away. Too many of y'all are willing to muddle around and wait around in who you used to be. Stop being that. Declare Jesus Christ as Lord. Believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. Live in a lifestyle of repentance and stop it. I would challenge you as a personal devotion to go read 1 John. 1 John's an incredible book. The whole thing is written so that you may know. That's the stated meaning for the book of 1 John. So you may know that you are in Christ, so that you may know what you have in Christ, so that you may know your prayers are answered. If you want to know if you're good, ask yourself, do I believe Jesus Christ is Lord? If I confessed him out of my mouth, believe that God raised him from the dead? Do I live in a lifestyle of repentance? Over and over and over again in 1 John, you're going to find the answer to that question being yes. So be fearless. Can we be fearless? Can we be fearless Christians? We know who God is. Or we kind of know who God is to the degree we can know. We know that he's given us provision. And in his provision, we have the assurance of his presence. The presence of God is promised to those who fear him and trust him. Did you hear me? The presence of God is promised to those who fear Him and trust Him. We see this throughout the whole Old Testament. We see it in the life of Moses. In Exodus 33, 12-17, where Moses knows that he needs the presence of God. And he says, if you don't come with us, I'm not going. Because he knew where God was, he was okay. Man, would it be awesome to have that kind of confidence, that kind of fearlessness, to know, God, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to do what you've called me to do. I'm going to climb that mountain, as it were. I just need to know that you are with me. Moses knew that kind of fearlessness. I want you to think about all the stuff that happened in Moses' life. I'm not going to get into all that much of it. But he was backed up between the most dangerous and largest army in the world at the time and the Red Sea. And God said, I don't sweat that, bro. I got you. He said say it just like that. Probably King James, so he said, Broseph. But my point is, Moses dealt with a lot of stuff, man. But you know what God always did? God's presence never left him. He's always there watched over him, took care of him. We see it in the life of Joshua. Y'all need to read your Bible, man. There's some crazy stuff in here. Joshua chapter 1, Moses is dead. That's how it starts. And Moses is dead. So that's a downer, right? And oh yeah, by the way, God tells Joshua, you're in charge now. Be strong and courageous. <laughs> and Joshua's all, okay. Right? No. No, he was terrified. Why do you think God had to say be strong and courageous so many times? Put yourself in the scenario. Don't just read the words. He's in charge now of all these people, having watched Moses. And what's the first thing he says? Or what's the first promise he needs from God and God gives him? I'll be with you wherever you go. No man. He gives him the same promise he gave Moses in Joshua 1.5. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Man, if that was just for Joshua, I wouldn't be that impressed. Because Joshua had been dead a long time. 
But you know what? God's not a respecter of persons, and the God that He was in the Old Testament is the God He is in the New Testament. And if His presence goes before them, His presence goes before you. And you can count on it the same way that they did. Oh, I don't think you understand the enemy that I'm facing. Right over this hill, man, is a city. We're going to have to take it. Trust me, I got you. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. That's good. And we walk around fearless. Why? We should be fearless because the presence of God is in us. One of my favorite stories, and and probably, in my opinion, one of the boldest statements in all of the Old Testament is spoken by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let me give you the background story there. Again, I don't want to pretend everybody knows the thing. but So the king tells everybody, you got this idol, you're going to bow down to it. If you don't bow down to it, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to throw you in this furnace and burn you to death. And so it comes time, everybody kneels down before this idol except for three young men. Three young men stand defiantly knowing that their God is present. And in the face of the king say, we're not doing that. And they made this declaration after being threatened by the king. If it be so, if you're going to throw us in this fire, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve your gods nor worship the golden image which you have set up. Come on, man. And we're worried about an election. I feel like I just sit here in this moment for a minute and just wait because I know sometimes in silence light bulbs come on. These three young men said, my God will save me. But if he doesn't, there's something more important in my own life. And that's obedience to the God that I serve. Can I tell you, your God will save you. But if he doesn't physically, he does eternally. There's going to be a time, I, I told this to the church, it's not in my notes, I wasn't planning on saying it, but I think it's important for you to understand I'm not one much for prophetic words and all that, and I'd hesitate to say that that's the case. But it presses strongly on me. There may be a time, there's likely to be a time, where this isn't going to be, this isn't going to be possible in America. Whether it be this election, next election, election 10 years from now, 20 years from now, I don't know. At some point, I fully suspect the government will do everything it can to shut churches down. Be ready and be fearless because God has prepared us for that. You want to know how God has prepared us for that? And it's the reason why we kind of push groups. I'm not pushing groups now, but it's the reason why we push groups. Because if we can't meet here, we can meet with Brother Leonard somewhere else. We can meet with D.W. somewhere else, Pastor Rick somewhere else in small groups. I believe this. The way the small groups swept across the nation just super fast, everybody went to small groups, was the Spirit of God moving on the church to prepare us for something that's coming. And we need to be prepared for it. Don't be scared of it. Because let me tell you, the kingdom of God has always grown in persecution. So walk into that fearlessly. Don't worry about the government's going to save me. Government can't save you. Government can't give you anything you didn't give it. My patriot friend over here clapping his hand. 
But it's absolutely true. We should be fearless. I'll tell you, people, people have asked me in regard to what if the church shuts down, what are you going to do? Something else. I'll tell you what I won't do. I won't stop shepherding people. I'll go from house church to house church to house church. And I'll pray with and preach with and love on. That's what God's called us to do. Amen? Be fearless because God is present. But you know the incredible thing? The incredible thing is that in the Old Testament, God was with them. In the New Testament, we can walk fearlessly because God is in us. That is so big. It's a big deal, man. You go to some churches, some liturgical churches, some, I don't want to talk about them, and I'm not going to, so I won't name any, but dry bone churches, and you start talking about the Holy Spirit, and they're all, what? What is it? I'm not, I've not heard about that. Isn't it weird, though? You go to a Pentecostal church, start talking about the Holy Spirit, and people are familiar and they don't understand or they've forgotten the weight of what they carry because of their familiarity. We need to stop being familiar with the presence of God because when we grow familiar with the presence of God in us, we do stuff around us that we should be ashamed of. But the Spirit of God was promised to come to us. In John 14, I love this promise. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says this in 16 through 20. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, one exactly like me, a helper, a counselor, a comforter. Uh, the word is paraclete, which means I'm going to give you someone to come alongside of you. He's going to live inside of you, and he's going to be your comfort when all things are upside down. He's going to be your strength when you are weak. He's going to be your counselor when you're not sure what decision to make or how to live your life. He's going to bring to remembrance the Word of God to you when, when you struggle with what to do in a situation or you need that added additional strength. He said, I'm going to send that helper and he may be with you for just a few minutes. Wait a minute, that's not what that says. It says forever. <laughs> Praise God. Y'all ain't near as excited about the Word of God as I am. Some of y'all look at me like a, a cow looking at a new fence. <laughs> that is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him. That's not the case with you. But you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. Whew. Isn't that a beautiful promise? Remember the conversation we had last week? If you didn't, go back and listen to it. About the God that we serve that's greater than any created thing. That's greater than any idol. That's greater than any authority. This word says, but you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. Now He's speaking future tense. But that's happened. That happened in Acts chapter 2. Listen to this awesomeness. Then the day of Pentecost had come. They were all together in one place, having been commanded to go and wait on the arrival of the Holy Spirit in chapter 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent, rushing wind. Could you all imagine us sitting in here? And the Spirit of God fall. And you like it drowns me out. Like there's just, I don't know what violent rushing wind is like. I'm not going to try to do that. But, but it being so loud that it's overwhelming, that we are so unified, so prepared to receive the Spirit of God, that the, the tongues as the flames of fire rest on the heads of every person here. The presence of God fall in a glory cloud. If you don't know what a glory cloud is, 
it's a it's, it's really a kind of an Old Testament phenomenon, but the God that we served this was alive then is alive now. But he would come down in a cloud so that his peace, so he could be amongst his people. I've seen that happen. I didn't know what it was. I was 16 years old, and it blew my mind. But let me tell you, when the Spirit of God falls, when the Spirit of God that lives in you is allowed to be active and moving, something incredible happens. And there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit has given them utterance. Man, that's good. God hasn't forsaken you. He's come to take, huh? He's come take His home in you. He resides in you, abides in you, rests in you. And we're fearless. Or we're fearful. Doesn't make any sense, does it, Mama? I know the God I serve. Do I trust what He's given me? He's given me provision through His Son, Jesus Christ. Everything that we have access to, we have access to because Christ Jesus died for us. Period. Health, wealth, prosperity. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about the hope of eternity. Or I'm not just I'm not talking about just that. How about that? I'm talking about eternity. I'm talking about confidence. Strength. Have you ever you ever had one of those days or maybe it turned into weeks or months? Where at the end of it, you are so completely drained, you don't physically feel like you can get off the ground. You lay on your face because you don't have the physical or spiritual strength to do anything else. Can I tell you, God lives in you in that moment too. Your prayer doesn't have to sound articulate. I've had moments like that. You know what my prayer sounded like? Weeping. Or a sigh. People say, Pastor Jim, I don't know how to pray. There's times I don't either. And that's okay. Because the presence of God in me knows what I need. And because the presence of God in me knows what I need, I can walk fearlessly. And He will answer those prayers. One of the first time I was truly emboldened by prayer to where it didn't make any sense to me at all, but I grew a confidence like I've never had. Angela had a family member who had just gotten married and fell out of a tree. Young couple, beautiful couple, fell out of a tree and he he broke his back in two or three different places. They told him he'd never walk again. They said he's never going to walk again. He's he's never going to have kids. He's never he's never going to feed himself. He's never going to do any of that. And that made me angry that this kid and his brand new wife had been stolen from. I still knew in my faith to have confidence that God would be do what he said he would do. And I went to my office, and I prayed, and I had a God-pull-my-hip-out conversation with God. And that's okay if it's based in faith. Don't be going disrespectfully yelling at God or another. And I told God, or I asked God, God, this isn't fair. This isn't right. They don't deserve that. And after about an hour... I come out of my office, spent. Y'all ever prayed to the point you're spent? You just don't know what else to say or do? And I looked at my wife. I said, call her. Call your family member and tell them this. Within a year, you'll be mobile and moving and doing like you were never injured in the first place. You know how bold that is? And I'm not saying that to say, look how bold I am. You know how 
how powerful that is that the Spirit of God can move on you to give you that kind of confidence because He lives in you. She calls him. I believe he got a hold of her dad. Didn't her dad answer the phone? And he's all, I'm not telling her that. She's learning to feed him right now. They're having to show her how to take, give him a bath. And I told Angela, I said, just tell him. One year later, one year later, he is hunting elk in the mountains of Montana. And has five kids. Let me tell you, why do I tell you that story? Because God don't care about your fear, man. God wants you to climb that mountain. Make that move. Life doesn't make any sense. God never said it would. Trust in who God is. Trust in what He's given you. And let me tell you, the third thing He's given you, and I'll wind up on this. We can be fearless because God is protective. Ooh. We can be fearless because God is provisional. In our in His provision, He promises His presence, and in His presence, nothing can come against us. This is what Romans eight says: Who's going to come against me? Nobody. Nothing. Why? Because the God that I serve is greater than any created thing, any idol, or any authority. Governmental or otherwise, our God is bigger. And in that, He promises to protect us. I love Psalms 91. I love Psalms 91. Let me read Psalms 91 to you. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to hit some highlights. I didn't mark my Bible today because I wanted you guys to take the time to to find the scripture with me. Psalms 91 starts like this. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. What? Man, let me tell you, I could preach a whole sermon on that, but I won't. It says you want the promises contained in Psalms 91? You have to acknowledge that God is the Most High and abide in His shadow. Live in his shadow. Follow him around like a baby chicken. A couple of y'all raised chickens know what I'm talking about. What does it mean to say God is the most high? It means that he is Lord. That he is stronger, bigger. More capable than anything that would come against you. That he is literally the most high thing. Everything else is less high. That's not proper entomology, but that's what that means. Most high means everything else less high. Right? And if we say that, if we acknowledge that to be true, we have the promise of God's protective hand. It says if we take shelter... We can take shelter in Him. We can abide in His shadow. We can take refuge. Verse 2, that He is our fortress. You know what fortresses are designed for? To stop the attack of the enemy. We have the right as believers to run into the fortress that is the God that we serve. And He promises if we declare Him most high, that there will nothing come against us. No pestilence, no snare, no temptation. No struggle. All of these things. Well, no eternal struggle. Because He is a protective God. And we're fearless. Or we're fearful. It doesn't make sense. Stand up, Christian. Take that heel. God's waiting for you there. God promises to protect us. Psalms 34, 7 says it beautifully. 
The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. That's pointed. Right? Do I need to read it again? The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, have reverence for him, and rescues them. Angels. Plural. You know why that's impressive? Because in 2 Kings, one angel killed 185,000 people. Not just people, not civilians, warriors. And he says that angels will encamp around you and rescue you if you reverence him. What do we fear? We should fear nothing. Isaiah 45, or correction, 54, 17. Many of you have this memorized. My, no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. Does it say some weapon? Does it say there is this one weapon on Mount Mordor, if you go find it? This Lord of the Rings reference. So, I, uh, it says no weapon. Y'all got to indulge me a little bit. I'm a nerd. That is formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that accuses you in judgment will be condemned. I don't know about y'all, but I need that in my life. I need to, I, I'm, I'm less concerned with weapons. Because I got my own. But it's the lying tongue that I need God to condemn. It's the person that says, well, you don't know so-and-so. As many of y'all don't know this, I haven't always been a Christian. I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there. Matter of fact, I spent most of my life not a Christian. And all the people that I knew when I wasn't a Christian, not all of them, some of them still talk about me like I'm still that person. You know what I do? I call them up and I cuss them. No, I don't. I trust that God condemns the mouth of the liar. And I pray that God condemn the mouth of the liar. Amen? Be fearless. My prayer for us today is that we acknowledge and recognize a couple things. None of this is possible without Christ Jesus. And two, because of who God is, we can trust in what He's given us. My prayer is that you trust what you've been given. Amen?